Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. And Godet banks it back ahead. He finds Stutzel walking in, shoots, scores! Tim Stutzler snaps and finds his turkey. Welcome to the proceedings. That clip courtesy of TSN, Gord Miller with a great call. Tim Stutzla on his off wing, firing a laser past Ranger goalie Igor Shesterkin. That opened up the scoring Sunday against the Rangers, but there really wasn't much else going on after that. In fact, Shesterkin came closer to scoring than any Ottawa Senator player after that. Just missing an empty netter. Sends fall 2-1 to the Rangers. Thank you for being with us. Here's what's trending in Sens Nation today. There have been four games since we last gathered here on the show. The lack of offense is starting to bleed through. The Sens scored eight goals in those four games, seven if you pull empty netters off the table. They earned three of a possible eight points. Also, after the week that was, I randomly take us down the rabbit hole of how to improve the NHL entertainment level. we got Nick Holden with a big offensive push lately. Tyler Boucher makes his Ottawa home debut today. And is Anton Forsberg on the Sens radar for next season or not? All still ahead here on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. It's Steve along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. The coach back in action with a new coaching job. How are you, Greg? Yes, yes, good. Uh, two and all. We have four games in four days for the long weekend. And uh, one Friday night, one Saturday night. So we're uh, we're feeling good about ourselves, Steve. Thank you. Well, we should, uh, since we last got together, you, you mentioned that you have a gig, but you weren't able to say what the gig is. So uh, who has hired you and uh, what's going on? We're in the EOJBHL with the Valley Timberwolves. Uh, I believe the record was about 5-18-1 and one or five, something like that when Ooh. we took over. And uh, so far, we're 2-0 and oh and we're, we're, we're doing okay. A little bit of structure and... Uh, a little, a little, still a lot of work to be done, but uh, we'll finish out the season and see how we feel come the end of the year. Well, congratulations! That's great. That's Thank a lot you. of driving you've got going now. Are you still are you living in Ottawa? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm back home in my uh, lovely abode there in downtown Canterbury. But uh, for this week, actually, I'm I am house and pet sitting for my daughter and her uh, fiance. I'm out here in Orleans with a beautiful yellow lab and two cats and. And I actually shoveled snow for the first time in about five years there two days ago. I I almost had a heart attack in the driveway, Steve. Oh, no. Yeah, I I do not miss shoveling, let me tell you. Yeah, well, nobody likes shoveling, that's for sure. Uh, Let's get into it, though. Busy week for the Sens. Not a particularly good one. They pull three points out of a possible eight that were on the table. Lost to St. Louis, beat Buffalo, lost to Boston in overtime, and then today, Sunday, lost by a count of 2-1 to one to the New York Rangers. And I'm going to go kind of off the page with uh, how I want to open this thing up because mm-hmm. the entertainment value this week was leaving me a little frustrated. I really feel like the NHL leaves a lot of entertainment value on the table. In the Boston game, for example, the difference between watching regulation and on into the three-on-three overtime, I was thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm so into this i'm so excited the adrenaline is going why can't the regulation portion of the nhl game be more like that why can't it and it got me to thinking that maybe it really is time to either really really crack down on nhl goalie equipment size 
And if they can't get that done for whatever reason, I can't imagine why they can't, but it seems to be a big problem. Uh, if they can't do that, oh. then make the uh, make the nets bigger. Let's do it. Let's add six inches all the way around. Let's go. Let's. And it's not just about more goals. It would open the game up so much. And to me, it's the probably the the least invasive way of improving the entertainment level. Well, how much of it do you think is the oversized equipment that goaltenders wear, and how much of it is you think the goalies are just that much better? Goalies are really good nowadays. Like even a bad goalie is good. Go back to the 70s and 80s and look at save percentage uh, as a statistic alone and look at what it's at these days. I, like do you, if you clamp down on the size of equipment, like let's get one thing perfectly clear. We're not making bigger nets. Give that a rest right now, my friend. Um, but I, I think that goaltending is that much better than it was. Defensive hockey is way better than it used to be. So I, I put this question to you and to send fans everywhere would you rather win 2-1 or would you rather lose 7-5 no do you want to be entertained or do you want to win and it's kind of kind of helps explain the birth of the trap in the first place the new jersey devils that back in the day it's like well we'd rather win and win some cups than score a lot of goals or entertain people i guess right so, so what 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 would you rather have well i want it all i want it all <laughs> well sorry pal wrong wrong line here <laughs> well, it's, it, I mean, it's, that's the thing. It, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like with smaller goalie equipment, now you've got a situation where guys that you just leave alone in certain areas of the ice, you go ahead and let them stand there with the puck right now because, well, there's no chance, zero chance he's going to score from there. If you have smaller goalie equipment, whatever you need to do to get, you know, to make those areas of the offensive zone dangerous zones again, you pull, you ha- and suddenly these tight defenses suddenly have to be pulled out of the middle, and that creates more open ice. There's not enough open ice, I think, is the big problem. And I think that uh, dealing with that one way or the other, whether it's this concept or something else, this is a game that's supposed to be fluid and exciting. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as I was watching the Boston game on Saturday when we got into the three-on-three, my heart was literally racing because I was so excited about what's going to happen next because there's so much open ice and and so much possibility for something exciting to occur. What's going to happen next? I don't feel that way in regulation in NHL hockey very often. Like suddenly an all-star game broke out. <laughs> yeah, but this is a little more meaningful. People, people are trying there. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. It's the idea of creating more space and how do you find more white ice i mean they they did that when they moved the blue lines out years ago um so that created all that extra room at the top of the zone and teams have learned to work uh basically you've adapted a phil jackson basketball a triangle offense uh into the high slot area and the two-point band in a hockey rink uh but it doesn't take long for defenses to to catch on and understand what to do. And then you've got so many more rotations now defensively, which was the Senators' biggest problem. And now they understand how to play it and they, they can defend it. And and anybody, it's much easier to defend anything than it is to create anything, right? So it's just, I, I don't know. For everything that's going to come up from a, from a creating offensive standpoint, somebody's going to come up with something from a how-to-play-defense standpoint. So I, 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 what is the long-term answer? I don't know, buddy. It'd be nice if it was nothing but rush rush chances all night. Like, wouldn't that be wonderful if you if there was only you're only allowed in the zone for ten seconds, then you have to leave and go back and come back in again off a rush. 
would that do it? You know, because when teams get into the offensive zone and start cycling the puck around and moving here and moving there, cycle, 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 cycle. And, you know, eventually they're all on the outside. Nobody, nothing really dangerous. So that kind of defeats the whole purpose, I guess. I would like to see some some level of experimentation, I guess, is where I'm at right now. And uh, and I honestly, your level, you're, you're at the junior B ranks right now. I honestly think that that's the most fun brand of hockey there is because you've got guys who are strong and fast, but enough mistakes are happening. There's enough guys missing assignments where there's open ice and anarchy and crazy stuff going on. At the NHL level, everything is perfection. It's beautiful, sublime right. coaching. Everybody's doing the right thing for the most part. Very few fumblings of the puck. So I think that's a fun level that you're at right there. I was, I mean, I was raised on Richmond Royals junior B hockey and absolutely <laughs> loved it. But I, I encourage anybody to who's interested in this sort of line, and, and I apologize that I've sidelined the Sens Nation podcast by talking about NHL rule changes. <laughs> but Ken Dryden has a very interesting article, and he was one of the biggest goalies of his generation. He has an article in The Athletic that he did last year that I posted on my Twitter account, at TSN Steve. It's, uh, it's called, The NHL Has a Gigantic Goalie Problem. So it was uh, kind of interesting to read about that. And that he, he agrees with me. He, he feels like that's, a, that's something that would really make the game better. Not just improve player shooting percentages and create more goals, but just create more interesting things all over the ice just based on that one change. So that's uh, at my Twitter account, at TSN, Steve. He's a shrink the goalie equipment, or he's increased the net size? He's he's that he's of that of the plan B. If you're not going to shrink the goaltending equipment, then wow. make the net make the net slightly bigger. Well, it, I I'd have to see some sort of um, experimentation. American me too. League, uh, you know, it, I don't know. The, the purest in me, I I hate watching statistics of old get destroyed by because of rule changes and things nowadays and. It, Things don't mean the same thing they used to mean because of rule changes. I just think change the size of the net. Holy smokes. Goal scoring. You'd, you'd like to think that that would increase goal scoring. And if that's the case, what's it do to, to historical numbers? How about the, the U.S. Uh, no, this is really going off. Uh, USA Hockey has now um, taken icing out as an option for penalty kill. Oh, yeah, minor hockey now. You they want you to handle the puck and make a play. You ice the puck on a PK, it's a blow it down and it's a face off in your own zone. So they've now expanded that to to all age groups below uh midget AAA or you you below U18 and junior hockey. Everything below that is uh you can't ice the puck on a PK. I love that. Honestly, yeah. it makes no sense for that to be you got a penalty, you did something wrong, but we're going to give you an advantage so that you can kill off that punishment that doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense at all when you think about it no what do you so think it, it, yeah no I, I hey there's an idea to increase scoring that doesn't involve increasing the size of the net so i'm okay with it <laughs> but don't talk in terms of nothing's changed like if you're a purist you should have been upset over the gradual change of goalie equipment that started up in the late 1980s like that oh, yeah. to me that, that upsets me like that should not yeah. have happened that should not have been allowed to happen but anyway, it's a, uh, it's nope, it's interesting agree. discussion. Anyway, when you get down, yeah, because uh, there's a there's I, th- I still feel like there's uh, whatever you end up doing, there's there's entertainment being left on the table every single night, and I was just feeling that way watching the Sens games this week. 
Anyway, right. let's get into some of the Sens talk. Sens game this week. <laughs> yeah, we should probably get into things. Let's start with the Ranger game, Greg. So it's a 2-1 loss, and for the second day in a row, I wasn't very happy with the officiating on the winning goal. Artemi Panarin scores a beauty on the power play. This is second period. After a very soft call, uh, holding, or I don't know if it was holding or hooking or whatever they got him for on Nikita Zaitsev, it was, as they'd say on Letterkenny, 10-ply soft. And Panarin himself then wires home the game-winning goal on a power play that shouldn't have been. And then you go to the Boston game on Saturday night, Nick Paul, in overtime, obviously gets taken down by David Pasternak with a blatant hook in overtime. And, and on the play, at worst, Nick Paul would have cleared the Ottawa zone. Instead, Pasternak fires home the game winner seconds after he should have been heading to the penalty box. Let's start with the Bruin one. Like, What did you think of that non-call? Yeah, I, I, it, I looked at it again uh, just before we, we flicked the mics on here, and it, it looks like a nice little figure skating move. You know, yeah. he kind of sticks his stick between his legs, and Nick Pauls looks like he's uh, he's a dog at a fire hydrant there for a second, and it, uh, and Pasta kind of takes his leg and spins him right around while he's on one foot. It's it's one thing to say, yeah, okay, I'm not going to call that, but it's another thing that as soon as that happened, bang, the puck went to Taylor Hall and ended up in the net. Like as soon as there was a turnover, the puck didn't get out of the zone. You have to think, all right put a little soccer mentality into it and say, okay, there was an advantage gained there. Therefore I'm going to call this. You know, I don't, I don't know why it wasn't called because it's clearly, it's clearly interference. And as you said, uh, worst case, Paul is, is saucing that out of the zone. Best case, Paul is a chip and a chase from a two on one or even a full ice breakaway. Who knows? Yeah. You, you think there would have been a call. I know you were, you were worked up. You were tweeting about it and everything last night. <laughs> well, I mean, I know it's that scenario where the referee puts the whistle in their pocket. They don't want to be the one to decide a game, but by not making that call, they kind of did. You know, it's almost like you want to, you almost want to give the referee leeway to say, okay, I don't really want to make this call, but I also don't want this heavy advantage that Boston has gotten from this thing I've chosen not to call, like maybe blow it dead, even though you're not going to make a penalty call there. I, I, I know that's not doable, but I don't yeah. know. It felt, like, it felt like something needed to happen there, that not only did they not get a power play, but Boston gets an advantage from the whole situation. It's the statement that people make. The, the people who are in favor of put the whistle away, um, usually the older, grumpier people, old school coaches and old school TV people say, you know, just let them play. We don't want the ref to to be involved in the decision of making, you know, for the game. And you just said it earlier here. The fact that you don't make a call means you're involved in the decision-making of the game. So just shut up, okay? (laughs) This whole idea of we don't want the ref uh, influencing the outcome by making a call. But by not making a call, he's just as influential on the outcome. I thought generally they put their whistles away. It wasn't, uh, wasn't I didn't think it was a badly officiated game. There were a couple of moments where, I was wondering about like the Clifton hit on Parker Kelly. Kelly's basically taking a pass and he's just about to hit the Boston blue line and Clifton comes across and gets him with a shoulder and Kelly did not like it. He felt like it was a headshot. Mm-hmm. Austin Watson didn't like it because the two of them went over and tag teamed Clifton for just a second. And uh, Clifton ended up with a double minor on the play I thought it looked to me, though I wasn't clear. I don't think I ever got a fully clear shot at it that uh, that it might have been shoulder on head, like the principal point of contact. But I'm not sure. What do you think? I thought it was shoulder to to chest or shoulder to shoulder. Like the, 
The problem is that when you when you see these, the head automatically snaps. You know, it looks like the the crash test dummy in the old TV commercials. The head's going <laughs> to snap and move if you if you get hit hard enough in the middle of your chest. Right. And I thought that it was it was on the chest, and and the reaction came from the as we spoke in the last show. You stepped up and hit one of our guys, clean or not. We're gonna, you know, the pack mentality is gonna step up here and say hello to you as soon as we can. So I, I did not think that it was a headshot, and I'd be surprised if there's any sort of supplemental discipline. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. I don't see enough evidence there. Where, um, but I mean, obviously it was a two minute minor, so the the referee didn't like it very much. But mm-hmm. we'll see. But uh, the other hit I wanted to ask you about that happened in the first period. You've got Connor Brown in the neutral zone on the right wing. The puck comes out to him. He's uh, he's he's got the the puck is at least in the vicinity uh, of him, and and Charlie McAvoy comes swinging across from the far side and levels him with a good solid shoulder check that really rocked Connor Brown. I don't think here's where I'm at. I'll I'll go first on this one. I feel like mm-hmm. Connor Brown was hit hard and uh, it was clean but nasty. And I thought Mm -hmm. it might've prompted some kind of response from Brown's teammates, just from the perspective of the Sens are already without a lot of their key forwards. Connor Brown is among the best guys they have left. And he's out there wearing a jaw guard. He's just broken his jaw. It's probably not right yet. And McAvoy, he knows that he sees the jaw, the jaw guard, and he comes over and absolutely nails him anyway. This is part of his job, but at the same time, I feel like going nailing a vulnerable guy like that, a key forward for this team right now, uh, that I might have uh, pushed back a little bit. You could see Nick Paul was considering it, but nothing really happened. What did you think? Should there have been yeah. a response? You'd like to think so. Again, this has become the latest talking point here is the, the, the lack of response from the Senators as a group to these types of incidents. Generally, there is a response. Um, you go back to the hit on Shabbat, there was a response immediately from, from Nick Paul. But the it, there are people thinking that Matt Murray, the latest Matt Murray uh, incident, should have had a response. There are people still not pleased with the lack of a, a serious response against Aaron Dell with the hit on Batherson. Um, I think with the play on Brown was, it happened quickly, bang, bang, but there was no... It wasn't like there was two or three guys close to the situation so they could run right in right away. And I honestly think that due to the timing of it and the 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 place on the ice where it happened, guys had enough time to react and see an arm go up that there was going to be a penalty. And maybe that's what kept them from doing things. You mentioned Chris Paul, or sorry, Chris Paul. You mentioned uh, Nick Paul's glide by and looked like he was going to do something. I, I think that people knew that there was a penalty coming and and. Brown didn't appear to be out cold or anything. So I think they made a decision that, okay, let's take the power play. Where's where's your philosophy on that in general? If you're coaching a game and something like that happens that you don't like, do you, you know, because I mean, you're, you're potentially, because obviously that was deemed a clean hit and I thought it was a clean hit. Mm, so do, I. do you feel like the giving up of a power play is worth the response? Because that's the other side of the coin you do from a competitive standpoint in the moment, put yourself at a disadvantage in all likelihood. If Nick Paul goes after the guy, he's going to get an instigator and all that. It's a tough balance, isn't it? Cause you want team building. You want your guys to look after each other. You want to, you know, have this overall team toughness, 
but at the same time, you're trying to win a hockey game, and that's not helping. Yeah, right. Like that, we talked about this, and I, I, I know that at times in my life, I've thought it's the stupidest thing in the world. It's a clean check, like shut up and skate away. But then there are other times. I think it comes down to situational. It's, it's a game decision within that game. It's who's the opposition. It's what's the score. Uh, there are a lot of factors that go into the decision to step in and, and send a message or not step in. Um, with with certain teams, you almost have to do it every time because you need to show to each other that, that the pack mentality that I've got your back. With other teams um, that have a different makeup or a different style of play, their thing is, that's okay. We've all taken a note. We'll get back. We'll get that guy later. Don't worry. Right. We'll do it the right way later. You know, just to me, it comes down to situational. The, the game, the score, the the makeup of your team, the, the opposition you're playing against, I think all those things factor in to the decision to either do it immediately or put something in the memory bank. The Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. I mentioned Ranger goalie Igor Shesterkin almost got a rare goaltender goal tonight. Picked up the puck behind the net as the Sens had pulled their goalie down 2-1 and Shesterkin fired one that looked like it was going into the heart of the net. It just... Missed the left post, so he had a big grin on his face after that. As for the Sens goaltending, with a back-to-back, of course, both goalies got a shot. Matt Murray out of the lineup still with injury. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But it was Philip Gustafson tonight, and he played a pretty good hockey game, and DJ Smith concurs. Yeah, for sure. You know what? Uh, two goals against uh, you know against the Rangers. I mean, what do you... I mean, he come up, he did his job. Our goaltending's been really good for a, for a while now. Obviously, score one goal, you're not going to win too many games. But give the Rangers credit, um, they didn't give us much. Wanted to talk about Anton Forsberg. Like I say, he had a good game. And I'm trying to figure out what the game plan is or what it should be. Because now that uh, you've got Matt Murray out of the lineup, he clearly is the go-to guy. From a development standpoint, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me unless you're planning on re-signing this guy this summer. Developmentally, if this guy's not part of the big picture moving on, then if Matt Murray's out of the lineup, then I would be giving starts, as many as I can, to Gustafson or maybe even Mad Sogard. doesn't make a lot of sense that if Forsberg's not part of the plan, they're not going to re-sign him, then why is he getting all these starts here right now? But on the other side of the coin, it's also the competitive balance, and DJ Smith is you know, maybe just looking at who gives me the best chance to win on any given night, are you taking any cues from this uh, on the on the Forsberg's clearly the number one guy in the absence of Matt Murray? Are you taking a cue from that, thinking that they are planning to maybe re-sign him? I have no idea. I, I'm, I mean, there's a part of me that's also thinking they're trying to showcase him, right, by giving him these games. Uh, there's also the fact that, that let's face it, that Gustafson has not been good. Uh, was was deteriorated uh, the longer he stayed up here this year, got worse and worse as the year went on. Um, had a pretty good week back in Belleville, but Sogard is probably past him on the depth chart. I, I, long-term, I think Sogard's probably now the, the long-term prospect has jumped ahead of Gustafson. From anything I've read or heard or watched, I, I've been paying some attention to what's going on in Belleville lately. And I think, therefore, Forsberg is not going to be here. So what is your problem here? Here's your problem. Next year, Gustafson's on a one-way contract and will have to clear waivers to be sent down. So if you re-sign Forsberg, all right, great. What do you sign him for? He's probably going to be able to get 
two mil or two and a bit, and he's going to want two years. Are you going to want to make that commitment knowing that you, you've now kind of got a problem with Gustafson being here, Sogard one more year of seasoning. So what are you doing with Gustafson? Are you going to start the year with three guys? Are you going to try to sneak Gustafson through and send him down and hope nobody picks him up? Or do you get rid of Forsberg now so you alleviate any potential future problems with Gustafson? That's the kind of scenario they're in right now. So, And even if you do trade him, what are you going to get for him? You're not getting anything better than, a, I would think, a fourth would be about the best you're going to get. If you want to try to maximize some type of return on a trade of Forsberg, then it better be in a package deal. Uh, that's the only way I can see you maxing out at anything better than a fourth or I don't even think you could get a third for the guy. Wherever he goes, he's going to be a backup. He's an insurance policy if he's being traded at the deadline. So you're not giving up anything better than a fourth for an insurance policy goaltender. So then you hang on to him and trade him later before free agency kicks in. Well, why would he want to do that then? Why would anybody do that? They can wait a couple of months and just sign him without having to give anything up in a trade. So it's a tough spot for the Sens. Yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope there's one starting goalie. You know, we're always talking <laughs> about unparalleled success. Who is going to be the guy between the pipes for that unparalleled success? And I see no guaranteed solutions of the four guys we just talked about. Nobody guaranteed at this stage. Matt Murray should be that guy, but that guy runs as hot and cold as anyone. Yeah, he's on a hot streak right now, but between those cold spells, like garbage, to the point where he got sent mm. to the minors, so cold, and now injury-prone has to be thrown onto the pile as well. And then Gustafson, like you say, he's been a little bit erratic after being their best goalie last year. I would look at Sogard, at least in the last two, three weeks, Sogard and Gustafson, just looking at their stats in Belleville, they're comparable. Uh, they look like they're in a platoon situation almost. It looks like Gustafson's, at a last couple of games, he's only allowed one goal total. So he's a, yes. at least having a nice little run. He's probably the guy that deserves to be here right now. And he is going to get the start against the Rangers on Sunday evening. So I just, I, I'm just trying to read into where things are going with the Sens. What should they do versus what will they do? Maybe that's the same thing. I don't know. But uh, I think that's part of it in that they're trying to figure things out as they go as well. Because Forsberg, I don't need, you know, he's not exactly had 10 years in the NHL. I don't know that he's even had a season's worth of NHL starts yet. He's bounced around so much and he's been around for a while but he's never right. really kind of stuck anywhere. So I think they're just trying to figure out exactly who all these goalies are at this stage of the game. So it's hard to make predictions as to what the future holds for these guys. Yeah, the problem being, like like, like I just said, like if you keep Forsberg, you could lose Gustafson. Right. Right? Yeah. So that's not good. Probably not good. Uh, it, maybe it's a trade of Gustafson. Right? And you keep you keep Forsberg here with Matt Murray next year. Maybe it's Gus that you trade uh, at the deadline or or in the offseason. Uh, he's had a easily enough swallable contract for anybody. Um, th that's probably not a difficult trade to make. Again, what's your return going to be on Forsberg? Not yeah. going to be a lot. All right, let's talk about a couple of other notes from the Boston game. It was interesting that both teams had as many Sens, former Sens first-rounders. Uh, they both had two in the game. Of course, uh, for Ottawa, it was uh, Kachuk and Stutzla. And then on the mm -hmm. Boston side, you got Nick Foligno 
And you've got Curtis Lazar, who's still hanging in there. Oh, my God, did he miss a big chance at the end of that hockey mm-hmm. game? All alone, out in front, centered beautifully by DeBrusque, and he's sitting there all by himself, somehow, someway, missed the net. That really was Curtis Lazar's thing. It's like, <laughs> smile all day, energy to burn. He's a great he's, – he's never quit out there, but uh, does Hands not like any, a clock. Exactly right. That's exactly what I was going to say, just – Stone hands and uh, really, <laughs> it makes you wonder how he's even able to score in junior. Because if if he had scored, that's not only the winning goal against his old team, it would have been his seventh goal of the campaign, which would have been his career single season high. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> great. Nick yeah. Felino not exactly known for his hands either. I mean, no. really, you got between Felino, Lazar, and and Brady Kachuk, you got three. Uh, Three power forward grinder, tough guys. Um, Stutzler scored a nice goal, though, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Wired went home on a nice rebound after a shot from the point from Zub. Uh, Nick Foligno, stats. I was I was just going to mention Nick Foligno. He had that one big year, got 73 points in 79 games in Columbus. And, man, it's been nothing but 30-something point season since. Oh, he had a 51-point season in there, but everything else is 30-something or less. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, he got paid. He got to be the captain. He went to the all-star game. And I think he was a captain at the all-star game. Everybody thought this is a superstar. He hasn't been a superstar since. All right, don't forget the show is brought to you by Jim K. Ford. They are your Ottawa certified pre-owned Ford dealer. They take all, and I mean all the worry out of buying a pre-owned vehicle. How about a warranty? 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage. Vehicle history report. Financing rates from 1.99%, a 172-point vehicle inspection, 24-hour roadside assistance. Man, that is peace of mind. See them today at jimkford.com or 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. I thought Anton Forsberg was very good for the Sens in the game. The two goals that Boston got in regulation... They were kind of kind of fluky when you think about it. Debrusca had kind of a backhand bunt of a fluttering puck in the air that could easily have ended up in the 20th row, but instead it beats Anton Forsberg. And then the other one was Forsberg diving out for a loose puck to try and smother it, and it looked like Chris Tierney, and he collided a little bit, and the puck got jostled loose, and Carlo was able to have an easy goal for, from that. But uh, So this Boston had a 2-1 lead that uh, they were probably fortunate to have, and at the end of the game, it was starting to look like, okay, that's it. They're, they're going to win this game 2-1. And the great Nick Holden, though, had other ideas. <laughs> Paul for Connor Brown. Brown finds a trailer. They score! It's Nick Holden! We're tied at two in Ottawa. Nick Holden continues to spread his offensive wings. That clip courtesy of Sportsnet. What a nice shot on a pass from Connor Brown. So... That was just inside four minutes left in the game, and that tied it, forcing overtime, and the Sens would lose in OT. But what has gotten into Nick Holden? The guy has seven points in his last nine games. Who is this guy, and what has he done with Nick Holden? <laughs> well, I guess he was listening when they said, hey, next man up, when Thomas Shabbat went down. Yeah. Nick Holden said, "I <clears throat> excuse me, boys, I guess I got to start putting up some stats here. It's uh, it's impressive, but he, he's a guy. He's a uh, – can we say journeyman? 
oh, yeah. veteran. He's an experienced veteran uh, defenseman in this league. He knows how to play the game. He's generally he's in the right place at the right time. His feet are nowhere near uh, what they once were or what he would probably like them to be from a speed sense, but um, he knows where to be and he knows what to do. And, and, and most of his goals, like Steve, he's not getting coast to coasters and he's not going bar down. His goals are happening because he understands the need to get a puck to the net. He gets a puck to the net and, and he scores. I mean, last night was a little different in the sense that he jumped up into a hole and good on him, smart play. But again, that's what was required of him in that situation. He's a veteran guy. He knows what he's supposed to do. So he jumps into that hole and then just fires a puck to the net and it went in. Like, great. Good on you. Absolutely. Nice goal. Rip top shelf. Very cool. And tied the hockey game. And brace yourself. Nick Holden has more goals than Thomas Shabbat. Mm, so. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this many times this year. I just Shabbat snake bit something. He's you could argue he's playing the best he's played all, all throughout his career, except you know maybe that one stretch there earlier in his career. But he's played very very well all year long. But this this the stats just aren't coming. The goals aren't coming for the guy. Yeah. It's kind of kind of weird. Yeah, it's not like Holden is in double digits or anything like that. But he has his <laughs> yeah. four goal his four goals in the season, whereas Shabbat has just three, which is almost unthinkable. Even if you're snake bitten with the amount of power play looks. That Shabbat is out there all the time. He's playing 30 minutes a night. Holden's ice time is a pittance. It uh, it definitely speaks to being snake bitten. Here's what DJ Smith has to say about Holden's recent offensive run. Well, he thinks the game so well, and and that's that's what you know. You can have all the physical attributes. You can have all the talent you want. At the end of the day, uh, you know when you're smart and you and you've been around the league, you can you find holes. You you know how to play within the game, and that's what he does. He manages his game really well. Obviously, he's comfortable here right now, and he's confident. Um, you know, and he's playing really well. I mean, this is back to back nights. You know, he's probably our best D again. So there's DJ Smith on Nick Holden, and uh, he's not going to be installing him in the power play quarterback position anytime soon but you can tell that's a coach who's pretty thrilled for a guy that's just re-signed for another year though I don't know where they're going to use him they're going to be pretty loaded for bear at left side D with Shabbat Sanderson even Brandstrom he looked amazing with uh with Artem Zub tonight on the left side so I'm not sure exactly where Josh Holden fits in next year but they're glad to have him at 1.3 oh yeah no he, he's here next year and I wouldn't uh, to me he's in your shutdown bear um, assuming you know age doesn't deteriorate his game even more again over the kind of the off season, um, I see him fitting in nicely here next year. And if he drops down to a five six, that's even better. Like let's face it, if he if he's if he's your six or seven, then you're really good. Uh, if he's in your five six, then you're probably pretty good. So I, I see him being here next year and being just fine. And, and it was nice to hear DJ say that the same sort of thing, right? He's just a guy who. Plays the game, knows what to do. He's a veteran. He's in the right place at the right time, and he's getting results for it. Perfect. All right, moving on. Talk a little bit about the uh, Sens' current injuries. you got Shabbat and Matt Murray. They might be out until Saturday now. It's kind of a quiet week with this condensed schedule. The Sens, I'm sure, looking forward to a little time off in that uh, they play Sunday, but they don't play till Tuesday after that, and then nothing till Saturday when they take on the Canadians. Shabbat and Murray might be out until Saturday. Colin White might be ready then as well. And also on the injury front, Tyler Boucher, of course, back with the 67s. I think he missed about three weeks, got injured in his debut for the 67s. And he'll make, uh, as we record this on a Sunday, he's going to make his home debut today in his last game. And he got back in the lineup. Holy moly. 
I was a little <laughs> bit uh, a little bit surprised that David Branch, who's very very sensitive to any kind of violence, he usually throws the book at it. Um, I was really really surprised that in this case, with David Branch being the guy probably making the decision, that Tyler Boucher was not suspended for what looked like a pretty solid head hit behind the yeah. net in his last game. What did you think? Well, it looked like he uh, he brought his hands up and got the guy right in the yap with his hands his, and his stick up high. And, and then I looked at it again, and maybe it was the forearm instead of the hands. But either way, he got up into the guy's face. Uh, kind of sneaky. It, it was behind the net, so really finding an angle of it in the video that we were able to see isn't really helping much. But uh, you're, you're right. That's the kind of thing that the, at, at the major junior level that they would clamp down on nowadays. And uh, you got away with one there. Yeah, I thought so too. Is he feeling pressure now that this is his first game in Ottawa as a member of the 67s? Do you think he's feeling extra pressure because he is in Ottawa? And there is there is pressure on this guy because, honestly, there's a lot of pushback on this particular pick. It's the 10th overall selection, and a lot of people raise their eyebrows at it on the day of the draft, and people didn't see much from him at the collegiate level to say, that's a first-rounder. And, uh, I, I mean, like, if he doesn't, to me, if he doesn't really rip it up, at least show some offense – not saying I don't want him on the team or on the roster or anything like that, but it now you're talking about okay, that's a stretch to have taken that guy tenth overall. Is he feeling any of that pressure? I, I if I were him, I would. He certainly should be. Like, uh, welcome to Canada. You know, you're in a Canadian market now. Right. You're playing major junior hockey in the same town as the team that selected you. So all the fans who saw you get drafted by their favorite team can now go watch you play junior or listen to it on the radio, or watch it on Rogers 22. They've got all kinds of opportunities. Uh, yeah, you should be feeling pressure. And it's it, it may be unfair, but, um, you know, you chose to come here, leave school, and come here and play here. So you better step up. And, you know, enough with the injuries and the this problem and that problem. And just, I just want the kid to play. Like, let's get 10 or 15 games under his belt. Let him show people what he can do. Yeah, he just seems to be a guy that right now seems to want, he seems to seek out those uh, those those big hits. And uh, I wonder if he's maybe looking for them a little too much, that maybe uh, that maybe it's a, almost not, not distracting him from the other portions of his game. But uh, I, I, I'm just hoping that we'll see a little more offensive push than we've seen since he got drafted. I wanted to mention a stat of the day. Stat of the day here on Sens Nation. In that, uh, did you know, since New Year's Day, the Sens have the third best team goals against average in the entire NHL. They brought that up on the Sportsnet broadcast last night, Gary Galley and the gang, and uh, I was shocked. I think Colorado and the Rangers, the opponent on Sunday, were the only ones better than them. Shocked to hear that? Like, I knew that they'd, we all know they've improved quite a bit since sewering their season in October and November. I did not know it was the third best team goals against average in the entire league yeah same here like if, if you told me they were in the top 10 I'd say yeah no problem if you told me they were in the top five I would have stopped and thought about it for a minute and said well yeah you know because even the games they were losing they're two nothing loss a two nothing loss uh, you know when they win they they win four two or three two two one you know they, they it's they pretty much kept things low so yeah if you told me top five uh, after thinking about it I would have said yes 
but third best, that's, yeah, that's impressive. And, and a good, it's a testament to a lot of things. It's uh, this, this uh, structure and, and uh, a team adherence to a defensive zone system. It's the resurrection of the goaltending. I don't know which one came first, the, the team commitment to defense or the better goaltending or if one's a byproduct of the other. I don't really care because they're both in place and the, and the results are showing. So uh, good on them and keep it going. And later, you know, the latest Matt Murray, what the hell's wrong with him this time thing. We'll see when he gets back, if he can just keep it rolling too. The Rangers are an interesting team in that their rebuild was kind of parallel to the start of the Sens. You'll recall it was almost four years ago to the day where Glenn Sather and the GM at the time, Jeff Gordon, who's now the Habs top guy, top executive, they put out that letter to the Ranger fans mm -hmm. basically explaining we're entering a change. We're we're gonna we're not gonna maybe scorch earth or anything, but we are kind of in a rebuild now. And so that was right around the time the Sens were starting their rebuild. And kind of funny how the Rangers have so quickly rebuilt things where they're one of the best teams in the league, but at the same time, Jeff Gordon is now running another organization. I think Jeff Gordon did a pretty damn good job when you look at what the Rangers have done versus I guess different expectations I don't know but Pierre Dorian his his rebuild is taking a little longer they're well behind the pace of the New York Rangers right now funny how the architect or the partial architect of the Ranger rebuild is unemployed for a while and now with a new organization and Pierre Dorian keeps ticking along yeah I think the, the Rangers probably were in a bit better spot than the Senators when they started um, didn't have to quite jettison as much as the Rangers did had some, uh, sorry, Rangers didn't have to get rid of as much as the Sens did. Uh, Rangers had a few more places, uh, pieces already in place. Uh, you know, you add an Adam Fox, then the high draft picks of of Lafreniere and and uh, who's the uh, 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 crispy crunch there? What's his name? <laughs> yeah, that guy. Um, you got him uh, in there. Capo. Cackle. Caco, 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 crispy crunch. You got him and you got uh, Lafreniere. And I mean, there's already people saying like, are these guys a flop? You know, even the, the Cheeto kid, uh, I, I want to say Cheetos. I'm not sure what his name is either, but he's there too. So they've got, they had some in place. Then they benefited from a couple of drafts. They made some nice little trades and they were sort of able to do it with, almost on the fly. Like they didn't really have to do the full teardown to the extent that the Senators did. Um, and and they consequently, they've been able to build it up a little quicker. You know, like they didn't have to get rid of Jacob Truba and his big chunk of change. They still had Lundqvist around for a while and got lucky on the goaltending side of things with two guys there who are very good moving forward. So, like, you know, Chris Kreider has survived through the whole thing. So they, they it, it, not necessarily a full-on rebuild. Uh, I, I'd say it was more of a retooling. Um, and here they are now. And really, we have to admit, it's enough of the, you know, the Rangers look pretty good, but yeah, you know, it's the Rangers and who knows? Well, no, it's time to, to honestly say they've been doing it all year long. They are pretty damn good. Yeah, you mentioned Truba. He was one of the guys they actually acquired since the day that letter went out. But the big name they acquire is oh, Artemi right. Panarin. Sorry. Panarin is a guy yeah. that uh, is obviously a difference maker, one of the true best in all the NHL. And that's, what a, that's the disadvantage that Pierre Dorian has when you're looking at, you know, Will the player waive their no move? Will the player in unrestricted free agency, will that player want to come to Ottawa? You ask yourself those questions, and it's a hell of a lot easier 
to, to, to rebuild faster in those two particular avenues than it is in the well, city of Ottawa. That's just the reality. Yeah, like, like if you want to try to compare the two scenarios, say to yourself, who in a standard rebuild makes a deal and brings in an Artemi Panarin? Right. That's right. not a rebuilding your standard script for a rebuild. That's not part of it. Yeah. Right. But you're the Rangers, as you just alluded to, you have the money, you have the wherewithal, you have the market, you can attract that guy and you can get him to come there. No problem. No trade clause. Who cares? It's New York. I'm in, you know, the senators w- weren't in on our Temi Panarin when he was, when he was on the market. No doubt. All right, let's call it quits right there. Greg, the send schedule is as follows. Kind of a nice relaxing schedule, at least by condensed schedule standards in the NHL right now. The Sens will host Minnesota on Tuesday, and then they're off until Saturday when they play the Montreal Canadiens, who of course have been a terrible team this year. But they do have a neat story maybe coming with them. Andrew Hammond today, on Sunday, February 20th, earned his first regular season win since April 9th of 2016. That's a total of 2,143 days between victories. That would be the eighth longest all-time in NHL history. And uh, wouldn't it be cool if he gets a start against his old team? And kind of be fun, wouldn't it, to do a Hamburglar tribute? Maybe if every Sens fan, however many of them there might be, uh, all chucked a cheeseburger on the ice at the end of the game, win or lose. I think that'd be pretty sweet. So we'll see how that goes this week. But uh, thanks very much, ladies and gentlemen, for being with us. The website, of course is SendsNationHockey.com. Greg, congratulations on the new gig, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers, or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.